for those of you who don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm a community group leader here uh, at Phoenix Bible Church. Um, Pastor Tim asked me to preach this week. I'm excited to be able to do that. Um, you'll be able to meet Pastor Tim after service as well. and He'll be up here at the end too. I'd love to meet with you too if it's your first time. So, um, so have you ever really wished you were better at something uh, than you are? Like uh, like gift or something that you really wish, like, man, I wish I was better at that. For me, my thing always was uh, being a musician. I wish I was a better musician. I wish I was gifted to think musically. Like I can follow directions on a piece of paper on how to play a guitar, but once you ask me to do anything beyond like just follow directions, I'm lost. And um, I always wanted to be better at it, and it was for a completely selfish reason. Is and for, forgive me for admitting this. You'll have you have to forgive me. Uh, I'm a huge Metallica fan, and um, so like even now, like James Hetfield is 50 and he stands on stage and like 16,000 people just do whatever he tells them to do. He's just like, yeah, and they're like, yeah. I'm like, it's awesome. And so that's probably why God didn't gift me as a musician is because I probably, as much as I like think, oh God, I'd use it for your glory. Like, no, I'd use it to be James Hetfield and get people to scream and I'd get to play and just hopefully like not get lit up by the pyro. But other than that, like, I, that's that's my like that was my desire growing up. Like I had the guitar, I had everything. I'm I'm not a musician, um, but I kind of elevated that that gift above um, other giftings, and kind of sometimes thought, well, I'm not good at that. So like, what else am I good at? Like, I, why why can't I be a good musician? Uh, you know, why can't I be someone that helps lead worship? You know, why am I not doing something important? And so. Our culture kind of feeds on this like rock star idea in general. Um, you know, we have people who are famous just because they kind of decided they should be famous. And we're like, all right, cool, we like famous people, so let's do it. Um, our musicians, obviously, uh, huge kind of influence that they have on our culture. Uh, you know, even our politicians at some point hit this kind of rock star status. It's kind of weird. We like to elevate these people that we think have these special gifts that, that fit into something that we hope for. Even in the church culture, we're totally guilty of that. We elevate people who have certain gifts to think they're way more important than they, than they probably really are, that they're far more important to the gospel or to the kingdom than, than what we could ever possibly be. And so today we're going to look at what the Bible actually says about that, what Paul's actually saying about that, and how do we see status and our importance and our giftings within a biblical worldview. Um, Paul addresses that in our text today. If you haven't found it, if you've got one of those Bibles around near you, it's page 623. We're just going to kind of go through the text chunk by chunk today. So let's start in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. So Paul uses this metaphor that if you've read some of Paul's other letters, you're going to be familiar with, this body metaphor. He uses it often to talk about the church. In this context, he's using it a little bit differently. So this letter is written to a specific church in a specific city. That's why it's Corinthians. It's written to the church in Corinth. And so in this particular context, he's focusing more on that local body of believers. Often in some of his other passages where he uses the body as a metaphor, he's talking about the church kind of as a universal idea, this idea of Christ as the head of the church and that we're all part of this universal body. 
But here he's focusing a little bit more on the, the body itself in Corinth. And so as we go through this, we need to think about this not only as a global idea of church, but also how it looks for us here at PBC specifically. So the Corinthian church was a multi-ethnic community. It was reflective of the city that it was in. It was a major crossroads for trade. It's this little tiny uh, part of uh, land at the bottom of Greece. And so major north-south trade routes went through there, coming up across the Mediterranean Sea from Africa to go into Europe, coming from Asia, moving over into Europe as well. There were huge trade routes this way. Um, so much so that, that sailors would come from Asia and they'd actually get their boats up on logs and roll them across like the four miles of, of land to get them back into the ocean on the other side to save themselves time from going around the entire part of Greece. So it's this thin little area, but because of that, all these different cultures, all these different people are all coming in into this city. And the church is reflective of that here. Uh, it's a multi-ethnic, multi-socio-economic church, and they're starting to run into some problems here. They're starting to see some things get a little out of balance, a little out of whack. And so Paul, in this letter, addresses that a lot. Here specifically, he's going to be talking about gifts. So when he talks about baptism here in uh, verse 12 and 13, he's using baptism metaphorically to describe the work of the Holy Spirit and how it unites each believer in Christ. And so when he talks about we all drink of one spirit, he's saying there's no special blessing, there's no secondary special blessing that, that when you're baptized into Christ, when you're brought into the family of Christ, we all drink from the same spirit, we all come the same way, we all come with the same worth. We come with empty hands and we're brought into the body of Christ. And so with that in, in mind, he then kind of goes into this body metaphor. Verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the, be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So this first section, he starts to address this idea of comparison. It's something that we're definitely prone to, drawn to. I'm definitely guilty of this. This idea of comparing the giftings that God's given you with other people in the body. And sometimes feeling like, well, because I'm not that, maybe I'm not as important, or maybe I'm not really part of the body. And because the body is made of many, many members, as Paul is saying here, we need to realize that comparisons amongst ourselves is not helpful. It's not doing anything to, to help us grow, to help us find out the gifts that God's given us. This idea of comparison doesn't build a sort of unity. In fact, it builds jealousy. It builds this kind of resentment when you feel like maybe someone else has a gifting that you wish you had. And so... What Paul's saying here is this idea that lacking a particular gift doesn't exclude you from the body. So Paul's probably addressing an overemphasis of a particular gift here. Uh, likely it's speaking in tongues in, in their context over others. And so what happens sometimes in churches is that we see people on stage or we see people doing particular things within the body and we think like, man, they're really important. Like, I wish I had that gifting. I wish I had that ability to, um, you know, play music, to, to stand in front of people, to 
teach the Bible in a certain way, to, um, you know, gather groups together and lead them well. What Paul's saying is that, that not having a gift doesn't make you excluded from the body. And so we need to realize that not everyone's going to have the same gifts then. And that if you've maybe grown up in a church in the past, this is something that's part of my background, that if you didn't have a particular gift, you were kind of like a Christian, half Christian. You weren't fully in yet. And it's important if you, if you grew up in that, in that culture, in that idea, you need to know scripture says completely the opposite of that. That there's not a single gift that makes you a full member of the body and lacking that gift makes you less important or less a part of the body. We've been baptized in as one spirit. That's what we need to remember. Paul actually goes even farther as to say that if every member had the same giftings, the body would actually be deficient. And so if you think about this in the idea of a metaphor, if a body's all feet, not useful, not very helpful. If the body's all mouth, not very helpful. If all you do is talk and talk and talk and talk and all we do is yell and we don't have hands to help care and love, it's not helpful. It's a deficient body. In fact, it's we would look at that and say, like, there's something wrong. We should have you see a doctor, things like that. Like, if you have feet for hands, you would need to go see a doctor. And then beyond that, Paul actually says the variety of gifting of each member is arranged by God. And so this is important to remember. The gifts that you have aren't, like, leftover gifts that that it's like, well, someone has to, or anyone can do that. God's arranged each of us to be in this particular body with our particular giftings for a reason. So think about that when you're serving, when you're leading a community group, when you're showing up early and putting A-frame signs out or moving chairs or trying to figure out which room we're going to be having church in. All those things, God's gifted you with that ability and those gifts to actually come and serve and be a part of this body. You're vital for the health and the growth of Phoenix Bible Church. Vital. And because it's a gift, it's not something that you've earned or that you've gained because you're more faithful or less faithful. Um, this is something, honestly, sometimes I forget. I feel like, man, like, why am I not as gifted in this area? Why am I not, you know, in a certain position in the church? Or why am I not doing certain things in the church? And sometimes I think, I find myself thinking, like, well, what am, like, what am I not doing right, God? What am I doing that's keeping you from letting me do this? And we need to realize they're gifts. They're not payments. So in the same way that when you gave your kids gifts over Christmas, despite what Santa says, you give them to them because you love them, not because they've been naughty and nice. You give gifts out of love, not because of what the other person's done. And it's important for us to remember that. It's important for us not to fall in this idea of comparison because the gifts that were given to you were given to you specifically for God for a specific reason. And then he kind of moves on, Paul, into this next section here. And he focuses a little bit more on probably what was a primary problem in Corinth. So in verse 21, he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we would just bestow the greatest honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And so Paul kind of continued in this metaphor of the body, now switches from this idea of comparison to this idea of pride. And so it sounds like in Corinth what's happening is certain gifts are being elevated. And so because these gifts are being elevated, people who have those gifts are saying like, well, we don't need you if you don't have this gift. And that comes out of pride. That comes out of forgetting that these gifts are actually gifts from us. Um, and so these verses need to be kind of understood on two levels. There's the analogy of the human body and then application to the church. So the body, what are the weaker or less honorable parts? We don't have to totally explain that out for you, but they're the parts that we don't present to the public. They're the parts that we cover, that we all naturally cover. Though they're not presented, I would think we would all agree they're pretty essential for human life. The parts that we tend to keep hidden of our body are the parts that, can you imagine if we didn't have a way to get rid of waste in our body, what that might do to us? Uh, if we didn't have those parts, how would we procreate? How would we have more kids? We'd just die off. It'd be the end of it. Moms, how would you feed your kids? All these parts that we cover, they're the most important parts really for us to continue to survive. And so the lengths by which we go to cover and protect these areas show how much honor there actually is in them. It's not that they're hidden because they're unimportant. They're hidden because they're very important. In the same way, the church, every church has people who are in the forefront in the spotlight. It's just the nature of, of being in church. There's going to be people who are going to be more visible faces of a church. But the parts of the body that are essential to the ongoing life of the church, the healthy life of the church, are those members who serve faithfully behind the scenes. Those people who spend the week praying for their pastor praying through the prayer lists, the people who open their homes up for community groups, the people who spend time preparing for community groups, the people who come during the week and fix lights and fix electrical things and organize storage and do all these things that we don't know that's happening. We just know we show up on Sunday and the lights come on. Awesome. It's great. Those are the things that are more vital to us, those things that we don't see happening. The things, especially when it comes to relational stuff, that happens. The times where people pick up the phone and call someone, the times where they email people to reach out to them, where they spend time in prayer. Those are the parts of the body that are most vital for us to be healthy. And that's what Paul's talking about here. For us to be so prideful as to think, well, we've got someone who can preach. We've got someone who can sing. So really, we don't need anyone else. This idea of being prideful is foolish. This idea of saying, you don't need a hand or an arm is silly. Who's, who in their right mind would say in their body, like, oh, well, I've got a left hand, so we can just get rid of the right hand. Or I've got a mouth and a head and, and eyes, so why do I need legs? You see, by having that thought and not taking care of the entire body and valuing the entire body, you're going to end up with an unhealthy body. And so, what does a healthy body look like? What does that look like in a church? Paul gives a little bit of an idea here. Verse 26, he says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is, <coughs> excuse me, is honored, all rejoice together. 
No, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what's the result of having a healthy body? Having a right view of the unity and diversity of the body will result in an emotional unity to those in the body. If one member is honored, the body should rejoice. If one member suffers, the body should suffer. What's normal in the human body should be normal in the church. When you smash your thumb with a hammer, it's not just the thumb that is sorrowful. Everything hurts. Your mouth says things you shouldn't say. Tears come out of your eyes. But your whole body reacts to your thumb being smashed. That should be how the church reacts. That should just be normal. It shouldn't be this force like, oh, we gotta have this ministry in place and we gotta have plans in place and we have to have someone who covers like meal trains when people have kids. Like, it just should happen. And it's good to organize it, but it should just be a natural thing. It shouldn't be something we force it. Like, oh, well, someone had another kid. Why do we keep having kids? Someone's gotta get food. Someone's gotta get food. We're getting tired. Like, we should just rejoice, send meals. Be a part of it. React. When we hear about people who are in the hospital, like our response should just be automatic. Prayer. Reach out to them. Find out what we can do for them. How can we help? The way you respond when your body hurts is the way you should respond when the church hurts. And in the same way, we should rejoice with each other. And this is where it's important to avoid having pride and having comparison. When someone does something where God's using them in an amazing way, excelling, and it kind of lifts their visibility, if your response is, is not to celebrate with that person, then you either have an issue with pride of thinking that whatever they're doing is not that important, or you have an issue of comparison and thinking that because they're doing that, they're more important than you. This is something, honestly, like I still fight with. There's times where I see guys in ministry that are doing things and I'm like, why are, well, God, why are you allowing them to do that? Why are you allowing them to continue to preach or teach or serve in this capacity, God. Like, why, why are they okay to do it, but I'm not? That's sinful for me. I have to repent of that. I have to repent of it a lot. I have friends that I graduated school with that I'm like, that guy's a scumbag. Why is he in a church? Like, what's going on? I don't understand. Um, it's frustrating. And, I'm, and I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, if you've been hurt by someone in a previous church, you've probably had those feelings before, especially if it's someone who's in a pastoral position. If you've been hurt by the leadership of a church and then you go away and you see the church continues to thrive, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, you think, like, what, what the heck? Like, why is God, why are you using that guy still? But it's because God gives the gifts and God has people use their gifts in the way he wants them to use them. And even if they don't use them in the way God wants them to use them, God's still gonna be glorified through their gifts. And so it has nothing to do with, with us. It has nothing to do with that person being more faithful or us being more faithful and earning something. It has to do with us being a body. And when we see someone that maybe we're worried about their fitness in being in ministry or doing something in church or when you question someone's motives within our own body, we're not responding as a body. We're, we're an unhealthy body at that. And so the best way to kind of start to learn that, to figure out what it's like to, to be like that is to get involved in a community group and not just go get a card and show up during the week, once a week, 
and have that just be the once a week thing you do and you're like, well, hey, I'm going to community group now, they'll leave me alone, hopefully. Get involved in the community group. It's, there's like 10 people that you can get emotionally invested in, that you can care for, that you can watch their kids grow up, that you can be a part of the life that they're living, that you can actually be a part of this gospel and see how the gospel changes people's lives. And so it's a huge way to start. It seems big when you look in a room and you're like, oh, there's like 100 people in here. I don't want to, I don't know if I can handle being emotionally invested in everyone. I can't. Or can't. Sorry. But my community group, that I can do. The, the, the three or four people that come to our community group, like that I can do. I can invest more in their lives and be more a part of be more a part of their lives to be more like a body. And so then God, or Paul talks about how God appoints gifts in the next section here. So verse 28 he says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. So what we need to remember here is right at the beginning, God has appointed these gifts. Says it again, God appoints the gifts. It has nothing to do with what you've done or earned God gave you gifts because he knows that that's exactly how you're going to thrive. And then you kind of read what Paul says right after, you're like, wait, didn't you just say all gifts are equal? Why? He's like, all gifts are equal, but then there's the apostles and prophets and teachers. So is Paul ranking apostles, prophets, and teachers here? Yes and no, I think. I think Paul's highlighting some of the roles that are crucial to the establishment of the church and their role in edifying the church, kind of like the frame of a house. So the apostles, they established the church and they were the, the means by which the word of God, the New Testament was delivered. So the idea of apostolic ministry, specifically with the disciples and then with Paul, they're a specific appointment that gives them a specific gift. And their, their role was specific in planting and, and, and beginning the church, laying the foundation of the church. Second, prophets. So prophets in the New Testament says, are those who have had something illuminated or revealed to them by the Holy Spirit that resulted in the edification or correction of the church. So this isn't something where someone gets up and they're like, you are going to win a million dollars in 30 weeks or something like that. It's not a, a, a foretelling of the future. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit, through their study of the word, through their understanding of the word, illuminates something to them. I think a great example of a prophet in church history is Martin Luther, where in reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit illuminated in him this idea of justification through faith alone and used him to bring correction to the church, used him to point out this area where the church had slid away, where they had started incorporating works along with faith for salvation. And so when I think, when you read prophets, when you think prophets in the New Testament, think of that. So in that, those are vital, essential moments in history where God appoints people to do certain things to help bring health to the church, to bring correction to the church. 
And then finally, teachers. So teachers present the word of God and are charged with encouragement of building up of the church so that each member can learn and operate in their gifting. So they're kind of the people that are just here to help echo and help clarify what's going on within the Bible to help the church understand their giftings and grow. So in that sense, are they more important? I wouldn't say no, but they're of a specific importance in the idea of having a frame of a building. That's the best way I can think of it. That makes sense? It's a confusing part of, a part of the scripture when he talks about Paul's like, everything's equal, except these guys aren't. So then Paul goes on and lists a set of rhetorical questions that the expected answer is no. And so he goes through, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. He goes on and on. Do all speak tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. So Paul makes it very clear in listing off these rhetorical questions. He's reiterating again, you shouldn't expect to have every gift. So if you don't have a certain gift, if you don't see a certain spiritual gift in your life, it's not that you're a deficient Christian. It's not that you're not fully baptized into the, into the spirit. Each person's gonna have a different gift. We're, our unity is found in our diversity. <clears throat> and then finally, the flip side of that is that he says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So, though I've said over and over again, don't feel like lacking a gift makes you a deficient Christian, it doesn't mean that you can't desire to grow in the giftings you already have, or maybe discover new giftings. So it's not something where you go, well, this is what I've got, this is what it is. God gives the gifts, he might give another gift later down the road for you. He might take one away. You, you might find that something that you were really gifted in, you really enjoyed previously, that in serving in the church, goes away. So a believer can and should desire to grow in their gifts and receive new gifts, but they have to keep in mind that their gifts, they don't represent any special status, they don't represent any lack of status. The desire for greater gifts should be those that further edify the church, not the ones that you think make you look cooler, not the ones that make you look more prominent or more spiritual. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not like, but desire gifts that are gonna make you look awesome. He's saying, desire gifts that are gonna edify the church. So what does that look like in a local church? If you see an area in your church that's lacking and you think, man, we really could use someone who's gifted in administration, it's okay to pray for them and say like, God, if that's what you have for me, like give me that gift, help me to learn and grow in that area so that I can serve our church better, so that our church can be edified, so that it can grow. If you think that, that there could be more teaching done, that you see opportunities for that, it's okay to pray and be like, God, like, help me grow my gift of teaching, help me grow my gift of service, my gift of hospitality. But keep in mind, again, they're gifts. So if the answer is no, it's not because it's a lack of, of faith on your part, it's simply because God has a different plan for you on how he wants you to use your gifts. And another thing that's be really important about thinking about gifts is, this kind of falls into the comparison thing. I hear a lot of times, um, and I'm guilty of this in, in previous situations of people leaving a church and their response is like, well, they're just not using, they're not using gifts. I don't feel like I'm being, like my gifts are being used. Sometimes that may be true, you might just be completely ignored. Other times you might be thinking that the way your gifts should be used is different than the way God thinks his gifts should be used. And this never really hit home to me until 
a few years ago, I, I, a friend and a mentor of mine was a part of a church where he's a super, super gifted preacher, like an amazing preacher. But he's part of a church where there's another guy that preaches most weeks, and so he only preached a couple times a year. At one time when I was sitting with him, I just looked at him and was like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you here? You don't preach, but like clearly that's your gifting. That's what God's gifted you to do. And his response just totally changed the way I think about how my gifts and how I use my gifts. He said, I know God's called me to be here, and so I'll use my gifts the way God wants me to use them, not the way I want to use them. And it flipped a switch for me. It made me realize that just because I think my gifts should be used in a certain way doesn't mean that's the only way my gifts can be used. And so, for example, if you have, say, a gift of hospitality and you think, well, they're not asking me to, to, to set up the, the welcome area and to, you know, bring cake pops and all that stuff, like, they're not using my gifts. Well, maybe, but maybe the way God wants you to use your gift of hospitality is to volunteer to be a host for a community group. And that may not be something that you think is on your radar, and it may not be the most prominent way of using your gift, but it might be the way God wants you to use your gift, because it might be the way that that church needs your gift to be used. So what does this kind of mean for us? What are some points we can kind of draw from the text? So this is just kind of review. So first, one, we need to remember we're unified in Christ. That doesn't mean we're gifted identically. It means that we are equally valued because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So our unity doesn't come from our giftings. It comes from the person who saved us. It comes from Jesus. It comes from the fact that all of our gifts come from the Holy Spirit. They may look different, but that's our unity. Our unity isn't in our identical gifts. It's actually in the fact of the giver of the gifts. Two, we can't compare our gifts to another, especially to the point that, become, that we become depressed or we feel that our gifts are not as important as another. Each gift is vital just as each part of the human body is vital for health. So this is where we get this idea of everything matters. You've heard us say it a lot from stage one of kind of our core values, this idea of everything matters. This is why we say everything matters, is because every gift is vital. And so I just want to say, because <clears throat> I don't say it enough before service during the week and, and when I interact with some of you, to those of you who are doing those things that are kind of invisible, that you don't think people notice, thank you. It's so important. You may just think, why do I get here every week at 8 a.m. to just lay cables out and then I just sit here and wait for church? Why do I show up to, to fix lights? Why, like, what's the point? It's because everything matters. It's all vital. God's using every one of us to push the gospel forward, to make Jesus more famous. And so the way that you're serving, that you're doing that, is a way that God has designed for you to do specifically for this church. And so it is vital because it's where God placed you. So thank you. Thank you for opening your homes for community groups. Thank you for preparing and planning to help lead community groups. Thank you for spending time in prayer for our pastor. Thank you for just showing up and setting chairs up. Thank you. And if you feel unappreciated, I'm sorry.
because that just means that, that I haven't done a good enough job being a part of this body to just recognize you and say thank you. So, thank you. Number three, we can't let pride tell us that our gifting makes us more important or makes us independent of the rest of the body. Just as it is with the body, and the unseen members are vital for life. And so, one thing to remember, especially if, if you tend to, to lean towards the prideful side of things, is that if you think because you're a hand that you don't need the foot, if you were to cut yourself off from the body, the foot's not the, the part that dies. The foot's not the part that gets gangrene and rots away. It's the part that removes itself. So in the same way, if a, if a body loses a hand, the body's going to survive. The hand's going to die. So if your idea is, oh, well, I can go off and do this on my own. I don't need to be a part of the body. You know, just me and Jesus, and we're going to do this. That's not how it's designed. You're only an aspect of the body. You need other people to come and surround you and support you to be emotionally connected to you. Don't cut yourself off. Don't isolate yourself. Don't make Sundays a surface level thing because all it is is that you're just going to slowly rot and die. Have you ever seen what happens to like a finger or something that gets cut off and just, it's gross. Like think back to like science and pictures of like gangrene and stuff. Look, that's you. So number four, a healthy body is an emotionally unified body. So if you don't feel an emotional unity to this body, if you feel like, eh, if, if PBC, you know, went belly up next week, that's okay, I'd move down the street. Um, maybe think about how you're investing in, in this church and think about how God wants you to invest in this church. Because if the death of the local body that you've been put into isn't going to affect you, then maybe you've already separated yourself from that body and you need to maybe worry about what's happening in your own life. Five, our gifts are uniquely appointed by God. They can grow, they can be added to, not one gift's universal. So I think that's one of the huge things I want you to just remember this week is that the gifts you have are given to you by God specifically for a reason. And not only just specifically to serve the universal church at large, but like God's put you here at PBC with those giftings for a reason. You may not see the reason why. You may not see the useful in it, usefulness in it yet. But God has you here for a reason, and he gave you those gifts. And it's not something that you earned or something that you've done. But you're vital to the health of this church because God's placed you here for a reason. So the big idea. What does it boil down to? If you're taking notes, the one thing to write down, if you have your phone, type this in, whatever. The one thing I want you to remember, each Christian is equally valuable. We're all equally valuable. And we're each uniquely gifted specifically by God so that we can edify and so that we can bring health to the church. You've been gifted specifically to build up and bring health to this church. The church at large, yes, but this church here, PVC. And so how do we apply that? How do we do things to help remember that? Like, what, how do we move forward? How do we, how do we figure this all out? A few ideas. One, we need to start 
at the gospel. We always need to start at the gospel. We need to remember what it is that unifies us. We're justified by grace through faith alone. We've all been given Jesus' righteousness because he took our sin and bore the punishment of it. So we all come to the Father with empty hands. We have nothing that we can bring to him that's like, hey, you need me because I'm pretty good at this. You don't. The only reason you're pretty good at it is probably because God gave you that gift. We need to remember that Jesus bore all of our sin, that Jesus brought us and made us adopted into the family. We're in. If you're in Christ, if you have faith in Jesus, if you acknowledge him as Lord, you're in. You're in the family. And so for some of you, that's where you need to start. I know this is where a lot of times I need to start. You need to just relax and realize you're in. And so if you have been feeling like you have to do things and make yourself get known and get noticed and, oh, if I do this, Pastor Tim will notice me. And if I do this, my community group leader will notice me and they'll ask me to do more things and I can actually finally do real ministry. Stop. Everyone, just take a breath. You're in. There's nothing to prove. Jesus has already brought you in and he's given you gifts. You're important. You're needed. You don't need to prove that you're important or needed. You're in. Two, we need to reject the temptation of comparison. This is totally countercultural. Everything in our culture tells us compare ourselves to everyone. Go through Instagram and, oh man, my day's not as good as them. Oh, Facebook, oh man, I'm a terrible mom. Oh, all these things. Everything is comparison. Comparison can only lead to two things depression or pride. Because either gonna make you feel like junk because you're like, man, I'm not as good as that person, or you're like, that person's really messed up. And I'm not. That's awesome. I'm super cool. Those are the only ways you can end up. If you compare yourselves, that's the only place you can end up. Pride or depression. Three, take steps to be emotionally unified. Actually get involved in community with each other. Pray for each other. Crazy idea. Pray for the people in your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your community group leader. Pray for the people in your community. Celebrate and mourn together. When something good happens, when God uses someone, celebrate. It's awesome. When people hurt, mourn with them. Little steps. And then finally, identify and practice your gifts. And this one's really simple. You're probably thinking, oh, yeah, I think I took like a series of gifts finder test in this church I went to before. I should probably dig that up. Probably find one online. That stuff's helpful. Here's a really good way to figure out what you're gifted in. Do something. Go do something. Volunteer to greet. You have to say hi and smile. And if after three weeks you can't find yourself able to say hi and smile, you're not gifted to greet and you can go try something else. <laughs> but just try something. If you, if you think, if you're not sure what to do, like go volunteer at kids ministry. You'll know probably within 10 minutes if you're like, this is not me. But then you go like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. I enjoy teaching children the Bible. This is awesome. Awesome. You found a gift. You don't need to print out and analysis and personality profiles and find out what you are and to, to figure out what your gifting is. Just do something. Volunteer. If you're not already doing it, do something. If you're already doing something and you want to try to grow somewhere else, do something. Tell your community group leader. If you think that you might be gifted to teach, tell your community group leader. Maybe they'll give you a chance one week to leave community and you can figure it out and go, oh yeah, I'm really good at this. Or you might be like, nope, not my thing. It's okay. 
hospitality, volunteer to host a community group. If your community group is needing a place to do it, host. If you want to do that in the future, come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Tim, come talk to your community group and be like, hey, if down the road we launch another community group, I'd love to host it. We want to give you opportunities to do stuff. There's plenty of opportunities to do things. Just show up and do something. That's a real simple way to do it. So, serve on Sunday, participate in your community group. Tell your community group leader what you think you might be gifted and what you're trying to figure out. They can help you figure those things out. The church today, we're so prone to just kind of overemphasize certain gifts, be okay with people not being necessarily invested, uh, and it leads to unhealthy churches. It leads to churches that are built too much on one personality or on a few personalities. And then when something changes, they crumble. So whether it's thinking of the popular preachers of our day are somehow more important than the body to others, or feeling that what you do is not important, we have to remember the church isn't a band, it's not a sports team, it's not even a business where some more visible members are more important. Like I get it, LeBron James is more important than everyone else in the Cooling Cavaliers. But we're not a basketball team, we're a church, we're a body, we're a family. We're made up of members who are unified because we've been adopted by the Father. And we've been uniquely appointed to particular gifts by God so that we can bring health to our, person, to our body here locally. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us a body of believers that can come around us, that we can be supported by and support. Thank you that we've been adopted into a family, that we can give up the need to compare our gifts to other people because we know that we're already in. We've already been adopted. We're already part of the family. We have nothing more to prove because there's nothing we can prove. We're saved completely because of the work that you've done, completely because you chose to save us, completely because Jesus died, because Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live. Help us to put aside this desire to compare or our tendencies to be prideful about the gifts that we have as if it's something that, that we've done. And help us just to figure out how you want us to use the gifts that you've given us to serve your church, both locally and throughout the world. Help us just to celebrate with each other, to mourn with each other, to grow tighter with each other because we know that we're unified in you. In Jesus' name, amen.